I want to share uh, my thoughts with you this morning on a passage in Matthew chapter 6. This chapter is in the middle of what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it includes uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew. This is the uh, first, longest, and probably the most famous uh, sermon that, that Jesus uh, taught publicly. It's called the Sermon on the Mount simply because at the beginning of chapter 5, Jesus, seeing a crowd gathering, ascended up to the side of a mountain, and he began to teach there. Uh, presumably because people could see him and hear him better. You may be thinking to yourself this morning, uh, it can't be that famous really because I'm not sure what you're talking about. You probably are very familiar with all the teachings in this sermon, just haven't heard them all collectively together. Jesus covers so much in this sermon that you could study it for the rest of your life and never exhaust all the wisdom uh, that he uh, is contained in this sermon. Here is one attempt at Jesus' sermons, the main idea of the Sermon on the Mount. How to live a life that is dedicated to and pleasing to God, free from hypocrisy, full of love and grace, full of wisdom and discernment. That pretty much covers everything, right? If we could do that, we would be finished with our process of sanctification. This sermon is a springboard that takes us into every corner of God's revelation about who he is and what he expects us to do. Uh, Here are some headliners, and when you hear uh, a few of the headliners from the Sermon on the Mount, you'll realize that, yeah, I've heard those things, the Beatitudes in chapter 5, salt and light, Jesus fulfilling the law, not coming to destroy the law, and he reoriented our thinking towards what the law actually says in reference to anger and murder, lust and adultery, divorce and remarriage, taking oaths, eye for an eye, and loving your enemies. All about the law. And in chapter 6, he starts teaching us about giving to the needy, how to pray. The Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, is in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, How to fast, treasures in heaven, not worrying, do not judge hypocritically, ask, seek, knock, the narrow gate, false prophets, and finally, the wise man who built his house on the rock. All that contained in the Sermon on the Mount. So it covers a wide variety of information that we need to live our lives. At the end of chapter 7, the the sermon ends in this way, or the Bible ends this way. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. We know that Jesus taught as one who has authority because he does have authority because he is the creator and the sustainer of everything, right? Now, let's not gloss over the last part of what I said because it's an important part of what I want to talk about today. God is sustaining everything. He's holding the world in his hand. He only needs to stop doing something to destroy everything that we know. If he stops sustaining everything that we know and live in, it will be destroyed. He's holding it together, literally, holding it all together. 
I've learned something fascinating in my study of this section that I want to share with you today, and it's this. We have nothing to worry about. <laughs> I mean, who knew, right? There's nothing to worry about, and that's what I, I, I want that hopefully we'll take away today. The section uh, of this Jesus' sermon that I want to focus on is in chapter 6 and verses 19 through 34. Let's turn to that passage and read it together. I'm going to read the entire passage. Matthew chapter 6 and beginning at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the great grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This one section of the Sermon on the Mount is a lot. <laughs> it's too much, I think, but we're going to get through it. The main idea, for my, I've titled the message, uh, The Priorities of Life. I, I wanted to say kingdom priorities for earthly living, but I stuck with my life theme that I've been on. The main idea is our anxieties and investments reveal or betray our values and beliefs. This is what Jesus is telling us. And I want to make application uh, to those, not just prove to you that what my statement is true. Okay? I, I, this is what the Bible said to me uh, in, in these passages. I'm supporting that idea with three points. And I'll point them out as we go through. Number one, though, our investments reveal our values. And that's in verses 19 through 21. Uh, when we... When we talk about verses 19 and 20, the English Bible doesn't really give the emphasis of the Greek. 
it sounds philosophical and it has this little sing-song poetical tone. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures in, on the earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. But that's not what Jesus said, actually. So I attempt to, I, I'm not a, an expert in Greek by, by any means, okay? Uh, but I studied behind some people who are. And so I attempted a paraphrase based on what they said that the Greek says. Okay, I have some tools that help me uh, figure out what the Greek is, but I don't speak Greek. But I attempted this paraphrase to help us uh, realize what Jesus is saying, his emphasis, what he actually said. And again, my paraphrase is just aimed at the emphasis. You know that thing you do where you hoard and save and plot and scheme to acquire things that bugs are going to eat or that would decay and rot, and if not that, then thieves will steal? Yeah, you know that thing that, like, it's in you, that you naturally try to do it? Well, stop it. Stop doing it. It's not logical. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this is madness, and contrary to God's economy and his kingdom. He's saying, you need to invest in eternal things that bugs can eat and that cannot decay or be stolen. Because God is guarding that vault. You see, when, we, when the emphasis is like that, it, it sounds different, doesn't it? It's like what we say to our children when they're doing something ridiculous. That's like fussing over what seat to sit in. You know, we say, stop it. That's ridiculous. It's not logical. It doesn't make sense. You're, you're messing up everything. Everyone's peaceful uh, feeling for no good reason. And that's what Jesus is telling us here in verses 19 and 20. Stop doing that and start laying up treasures in heaven. Because that's logical. That on God's economy, yeah, it doesn't make sense here in this world. But in God's economy, his reality, this is the only thing that makes sense. Now in the home groups, you'll, you'll think about and study about and talk about how to lay up treasures in heaven. But I can't go there right now. Jesus assumes that our tendency is to be focused on these temporary things. His emphasis shows that. As we have this disease, and it's called the natural man. We are diseased, and we need to fix it. We need to take our medicine and make it right. We are earthbound and inclined towards building our empire, our legacy, and our reputation. That's why we do what we're doing, that Jesus says, stop it. Proverbs 23, 4 says, do not toil to acquire wealth. See, it's not a new idea. It's back in Proverbs. And it's not just targeting uh, people who are rich, but people who desire to be rich. That's different than people who are rich. It's anyone who desires to be rich. And there is a prosperity message that's being taught all over the world. And it's a lie. And based on a warped and flawed system of values. 
It's not right. Jesus says so here. Motivation and drive are positive attributes but are wasted on our visions of grandeur. We're motivated to do the wrong things and for the wrong reason. I I like to use movies, and maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. Matthew, you tell me. (laughs) But I watched a movie years ago. I don't know how many. It's maybe been 10 years. Uh, Probably been longer than that. I mean, how old am I? I don't know. But it's called The Matrix. And in The Matrix, uh, Keanu, Keanu Reeves, he's the one. He's the savior. He's to save the human race. Okay, because humanity has been subjected to alien invaders. They came in and, and we've been cubbyholed into this vast array of living tombs. We need to be alive because uh, we're connected by our brainstem to a network that harvests whatever these guys need from us. They harvest things from our body while we're still alive. And they impose within our mind, though, uh, this imagination of this, this fantasy life so that we are happily lost in the illusion. And it's called the matrix. And because we're happily lost in the illusion, they're free to harvest the things that they need from us. And that's what Jesus is trying to say here. You're stuck in the matrix. It's you. What, what you're acquiring, it doesn't really matter. It's not real. Yeah, it's real as in I can touch it. But it's not amounting to anything in God's economy. And that's the only one that really matters. We're, we're scratching and clawing and acquiring and getting and getting and getting. And for nothing. That's what Jesus is saying. We're blind to the truth. Our values are warped. We can't see the reality beyond the matrix. Verse 21, though, offers a remedy. It seems to be inverse logic. I said our investments reveal our values. Jesus said inverse of that. So I left it that way because it sounded better in the rest of them. But Jesus said in verse 21, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That, that's saying the inverse of what I said. He's saying your heart will follow your investments. Stop investing in these things. Believe me. Believe what I'm telling you. I know that your natural inclination is opposite. But believe me. I'm telling you the truth. Stop investing here. And start investing here. Your heart will follow. Your heart will follow the investment. So just believe him and do it. Do it because that's what Jesus is telling us to do. So, yes, our investments reveal our values, but our values reveal our worship also, verses 22 through 24. These are challenging verses. I've done some reading about language that Jesus spoke and how it impacts the interpretation here. But very quickly, let me just say, because... People can get uh, discouraged or disillusioned when we talk about versions, translations, and is it the Word of God? I mean, how do we know it's the Word of God with all these steps and processes that it went through to get here? Well, God has the power and desire to create and sustain everything, and He has implemented a perfect strategy to save us from our destructive inclinations 
And part of that strategy is that he has preserved his revelation that we call the Bible so that we can know him. And that is our only assurance that it is the Bible because God preserved it. You can't go through any human mechanism and say, see, that that connects, that connects, and that proves it. it. It doesn't work that way. God preserved his revelation for us, and this is his revelation for us. I only bring that up because... As it turns out, the original Greek manuscripts are probably the first translation of what Jesus said in Aramaic or Hebrew. I say probably because that's disputed also. Maybe he did speak Greek. I don't know. But it gives us some insight into what he says here. He says in verse uh, 22, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy... Uh, then your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Some translations say uh, single eye and evil eye. And that's KJV, which back then they were translating it for what they thought it really meant. What did he say? What did he actually say? Well, as it turns out, in the Hebrew, evil eye, your eye can't be evil. That's the problem here. Your eye's not evil. It's just an eye. We are evil inside us. Our soul is evil. But Jesus is saying, your eye being evil. Well, that's an analogy of uh, a a person who is covetous in the Hebrew. It's a covetous, stingy person. And that's what Jesus is saying, that you are a covetous, stingy, and selfish person. If your eye is evil, you are that kind of person, then the darkness that, or the light that you're supposed to be receiving is not doing anything for the darkness, that natural inclination that you have. If your values are dictated by this world's economy, you have the evil eye, you're stingy, you're selfish, you're acquiring your own things, then your disease or natural inclination or darkness cannot be remedied because you're feeding the darkness with more darkness. Your darkness that you have inside you can't get the light. Jesus wraps it up, wraps up this thought in verse 24 when he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus knows how slippery we are. You cannot nail us down on our faults. We're very difficult to like, that's what you have, and that's what needs to be fixed. Do this, and we we squirm out of it, you know. We can justify almost anything, and we do, and we quote a verse to back it up. But Jesus says, you can't have this cake and eat it too. You can't have all your things all these things that you're acquiring, and then say you, you love and serve God. No. Now, I, I'm not going to stand here and tell you the, the level, the threshold. That's for you and God to decide within your own self. What is the threshold where I cross this line and I'm, and I'm accumulating things for myself? But Jesus says your values betray your worship. He says you, you can't serve God in money. And if you have a selfish and evil, a stingy eye, that nature in you, and you're not allowing God's Holy Spirit to change you and help you focus on his economy and his kingdom, then you're not serving 
or worshiping him. Can't have it both ways. Luke 16, 14 through 15. Uh, I, I intended to write that in here, but let's go there. Luke uh, 16. Shed some light on this. This could be uh, Luke's account of what we're talking about, the Sermon on the Mount. Some scholars say that it is. Some say, no, this is just another uh, instance where Jesus is teaching the same principles. Either way, it's the Word of God. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, by the way, <laughs> it says right here, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. Well, of course they did. They ridiculed Jesus who is saying what you're doing is ridiculous, and they're saying what you're saying is ridiculous. That's the way it goes, right? The world thinks that we're ridiculous. Because what we do, if we are really serving and investing in God's economy, it does look ridiculous. So they ridiculed him, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. God knows our hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. I don't know how Jesus can say it more plainly or more clearly that our values, what we value, must be in line with God's economy and what he says we should invest in. Or else, it's an abomination to him. We can't really say that we worship or serve him. And that's uh, Luke 14, 16. So, our values reveal our worship. But also, point number three, our anxieties reveal our beliefs. Verses 25 through 32. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. And he lists all these things that we worry about. And he says, therefore, referring back to what he just said, establishing uh, what is uh, God's economy. So, because this is true, don't be anxious about your life. The same emphasis uh, that I talked about in verse 19 is here in verse 25. He says, stop doing this because it doesn't make sense. If you truly believe in what God is telling us, it doesn't make sense to be anxious. It's not logical. It's living in the matrix. What do we worry about? We worry about our safety. We worry about our finances, promotions, a better home our reputation, our appearance. We worried about uh, be it, being too skinny or too fat. I didn't look at anybody when I said that. So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm done saying that, and I'm going go, to start talking again. But when I look, it wasn't you, okay? <laughs> All right, so. And we worry about our grades and our our college fund for our children, that's a big one. I mean, it really strikes at, at the heart of us. You know, we, we need to provide that. And we worry about our health, and we worry about meeting God. You did a double take right there because that's not what we worry about, and that's what we should worry about. 
See, we worry about all the things we shouldn't, and we don't worry about the thing that we should. Are we prepared to meet God? We are anxious about the wrong things. We can even be anxious about things when we are involved in service. Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. I'm going to read this passage real quick. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Don't we feel this way sometimes? We feel like, you know, we're alone in this. You know, why am I left to do all this alone? But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious, and that's the same word uh, back in, in Matthew. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So even in our service, we can get things out of alignment, right? And so Jesus is saying here that the thing that Mary chose, that was just to sit and worship is the right thing. That's the one thing. He's setting the priorities. This is the one thing that you should focus on. And all the other things will fall into place. We're not holding this together. I know we think we are. I know I think that I am. The way I act, the things I do, it reflects that I believe that I'm holding it together, and I'm not. God's holding it all together. And whether I fret and worry and scratch and claw or not, he's still going to hold it together. It's the same result. Teresa asked me to do something earlier in the week, and I said, you know, baby, I'm, I'm under a lot of pressure here. <laughs> I've got work, I've got studies, I've got to prepare for Friday. She's like, what are you doing Friday? I said, well, I'm preaching. You know, what are you preaching about? Not worrying. And God was like, got you. I got you. You came out of your mouth. You can't slip out. I've got you. And that's what he does to us, isn't it? It's like, I am preparing, but he's really talking to me. I'm talking to you, but he's talking to me. Philippians 4.6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I was literally putting this meditating on this and putting it in my message when I got a text from Pedro and he said, praise God. Prayers have been answered and it is amazing. I mean, Pedro can share it with you. It's just a miracle that God provided that we were praying, praying about together. And so I responded right back to him with this reference. I'm like, wow, yeah, don't be anxious and they had a lot to be anxious about. Let, let me tell you, I would have been worried because I'm, I'm not perfect. But God provided. Verses uh, 26 through 30. Jesus uses birds and flowers to illustrate how silly our anxieties are. 
The birds and flowers offer evidence that God not only created everything, but he also sustains everything. We actually believe, again, that we're sustaining it, but Jesus says, no, for all your worry, he's the one who provides what we need. The birds, yeah, they're, they're out and about, but they're, they're not planning anything. They're not thinking ahead. And the flowers, they're even less involved. God just closed them. It's like, be beautiful. They're not trying. And I think he used those examples for a reason. You know, my dog is a better Christian than I am. He is. She is. Sorry. My dog, she's a better Christian than me. Now, the difference is uh, she, she doesn't get to choose, but my dog is just doesn't do things wrong like I do. So why do I discipline her? I don't know. I'm an idiot. You know, that doesn't make sense, does it? You know, that I try to make my dog do something when she's, she's better than me. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to say here in, in, uh, in nature. You know, God is, God is taking care of all these things. And all the things that he has created except for us because he's given us a choice. Uh, they're, just, they're just happily going along. Just happily being taken care of. And that's what he, why he used uh, those examples in verses uh, 26 through 30. I know we're, we're, we're out of time. I'm trying to see what, what I can do here. But uh, let, let me just move on. Uh, Jesus asked three questions that I want to highlight. End of verse 26, he says, Are you not more valuable than they, meaning the birds? Verse 27, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Verse 30, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? What Jesus is focused there on is our system of values and how we determine what is valuable and, and if we are valuable. We, we're trying to acquire value, and we can't. We can't acquire any value. It is attached to us, and Jesus says so. He says, are you not more valuable than they? And it's a valid question. I mean, I don't think he meant it as redundant. He's like, think about this. You can't earn value with God. You are valuable because he says you are. And that's the only reason we're valuable. Because in his mind and heart, you are. And you can't change it. You are valued and loved. And he has gone to great lengths and great expense to prove that you're valuable. I have a friend at work who I argue with all the time about economics because he, he says that gold is the savior of the economy. <laughs> now, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, gold? I'm like, you can't eat it. You can't build a house with it. Look, man, when we go off the cliff, we need some food. And, you know, you have to have some land and you need to grow some food and eat it. That's valuable. That can sustain your life. Gold is not the savior of the economy. And we are the gold in God's economy. Because, see, gold is only valuable in the mind of a consumer who says, I want to, I will give you this much for the gold. And we are only valuable in the mind of God. Without God valuing you, there's not any. So we need to stop trying 
to earn the value. You are valuable. God loves you. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell us here. Jesus identifies the source of our problem into verse 30. Our anxieties reveal our beliefs, right? And Jesus says uh, into verse 30, O you of little faith. And that is the source of our problem. We don't believe in God's economy. We believe in this world's economy. And that's why we invest in it. And we try to get our value out of it. Instead of, in, instead of investing in God's economy and, and trusting him. Why is it so hard for us? Con my conclusion is in verses 31 through 34. Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious about all these things. Again, he repeats them. And he says, for the Gentiles seek after these things. He says, the people who don't believe in God, that's what they seek after. So don't be like that. They don't believe in me. And if you do, then you can't be investing the way they do. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And he, then he sets our priority again. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Verse 34, Jesus is literally saying, you don't even know what to worry about. And if you did know what to worry about, you'd probably fall down in a fit of anxiety. So you don't even know what's coming, so stop. Doesn't make sense. But why is it so hard for us to seek God, his kingdom, his righteousness, from a disposition of restful and confident peace, trusting that he will take care of our business while we focus on his? Why is it difficult? Why is our faith too weak for that kind of living? Because that, that is our issue. I think it's because we misinterpret the evidence in two ways. Because the evidence is out there for us to interpret. First, God doesn't lavish things on us like he does the flowers. Because he lavished all this beauty onto the flowers, even though they were going to be burned up the next day. We're like, God doesn't do that with me. And we give it a reason that either questions God's character or our value. We either devalue ourselves or we question God's character. And both of those situations are wrong. Because for one reason, this is a very complicated issue. I don't want to pretend like it's so simple. But this one reason settles it in my mind. God knows how much he can give you without you forgetting who he is. You cannot handle all the lavishing necessarily. And that one reason is enough for me to settle that in my mind. That God knows how much I can take. How much, how much uh, of his resources I can take. So I trust him. Again, do you trust him? Second, bad things happen to people who are seeking God. I was talking to Teresa about this message again. And I think I said this, which I didn't even say before. I said, uh, what Jesus is saying here is that you can't lose. So dare to do anything. You can't lose. Engage in my process. You can't lose. And Jesus said, I mean, Teresa said, is that really true? I mean, do you really believe that? I mean, we can't lose? And she referred back to a friend of ours uh, back in our, our Sunday school class from, from back in Georgia whose, whose son committed suicide. 
I mean, that is the coup de grace, isn't it? That is, that's devastating. That is the ultimate failure, isn't it? And so we, we think about this in our minds. How, how, how do we sort that out? That, that God is, is, is really you know, setting us up for complete success when that happens. Well, we are all complicit in that failure. Every time that we decide to rebel against God, we are setting the circumstances up for that to occur. It's our fault. I don't want to attach the guilt specifically to those parents, but we are all complicit in it. It's not God's fault. You see, we pose a very complicated problem for God, but he solved the Rubik's Cube of humanity. The problem is that he commanded us to love him, and love requires us to choose, and there's a lot of bad choices going on. We choose a lot of bad things. In the military, I was taught an overarching principle of warfare that says you never enter a fair fight. Do everything possible to set the conditions for a decisive and overwhelming victory. Just end this now. Okay? If the conditions aren't set for a decisive victory, then wait until they are. We don't fight fairly. That is our, that is our motto in the U.S. military. And that is what God has done. He has implemented the perfect strategy to give the most people the best opportunity to choose life in him. The conditions are set. Victory is ours to choose. There are casualties because there are many poor choices being made. So I challenge you. I challenge myself. I challenge us all to be all in, to be all in on God's system and God's economy. Invest your time, talent, and money to the process of exposing the world around you to the truth so that they will be motivated to reconcile with God and live with Him forever. That's why we're here. That's our purpose. And that is investing in eternal things. That is what we're supposed to be doing. That is our objective. And if we want to invest in eternal things, that's how we do it. I hope that we can all realign, reorient our thinking to God's economy and cleanse our soul, seriously cleanse our soul of the thinking, this earthbound thinking about the economy that's around us that says we're ridiculous for our investments. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not left us without instructions in this uh, crazy world that is trying to pull us away from you. And we ask that uh, you would purge us of our natural man and that you would uh, indwell us and make us more like Jesus so that we can reflect who you are, your love, and mercy to all who are around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.